Please be seated. Once again, I want to thank you all for the opportunity to come to be with you today. As Brother Greg said, I'm Yancey's brother. Uh, he's here today because he had to come. He's a member, I guess. He had to come. So it's good to see him and his family, and part of his family anyway. Some of them are, are sick, not feeling well. Uh, also, my aunt and my uncle are here today, and so I'm very glad to have them with me. Uh, my mother and stepfather were supposed to be here, but my mother is not, she's not feeling well, and they had to actually take her to the hospital last night. So she's in Centennial, um, getting some tests run, so uh, please remember her um, in your prayers. I would appreciate that. But I, I look out and see a lot of familiar faces, a lot of people that mean a lot to me, and I want to appreciate, I want to thank you uh, for the, the good influence that you've all been on me through the years. Today I would like to, or for this uh, period, I would like to take you back into the Old Testament. And I want us to do some, some studying and some thinking about some things this morning. So if you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13. <clears throat> As the children of Israel, they became a kingdom. They had what we call... As I remember as a child, we would sing about the three great kings of Israel. The, the three great kings as Israel was a united kingdom. And they were Saul, David, and Solomon. You remember Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, and he started off and he, was a, he looked like a king. He was a tall man, right? He was a tall and he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He started out strong, and yet he turned away from following God. He would not follow God completely. And because of that, he disobeyed God, and, and so the kingdom was, was torn away from Saul and his family. And it was given to another man, a man named David. And the Bible says it was a man after God's own heart. David was not perfect. He made mistakes. But he kept turning back to God. It's a great example for us, okay, to turn back to God, follow God. And so David, he passes the, the kingdom on to his son Solomon. Now, each of these kings reigned for 40 years. And so it was about 120 years there of a united kingdom. Twelve tribes, if you will. And so they were a strong kingdom. And Solomon was given the same promise that was given to David. And God said, if you'll be true to me, you'll be true to my word, if you will follow my, my decrees and my commandments and follow them wholly, He says, you'll always, you'll always have someone upon the kingdom, right? You'll always have a, uh, someone upon the throne. And so we all know the story of Solomon, the tragic story. All of the wonderful things that Solomon did, all of the wisdom that he had, he asked God early in his life to give him wisdom instead of riches and honor, and so God gave him all of it. And so God was pleased with Solomon, but towards the end of his life, he married foreign women, women from other nations that God had told him not to marry. And they turned his heart away from God. So he did not wholly follow God. And because of that then we see a split in the kingdom. And really, that's where we want to kind of get to this morning. I want to appreciate the, the brother that read for us, to kind of give us, in our Bible reading, to give us a little idea about Jeroboam, but we're going to get to him. And I'm off a little bit on my format there, but apologize. Well, hopefully we can 
We can get through. The kingdom divides, though, immediately after the death of Solomon. And so Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he reigns over Judah, which is the, if I can get this, the, the southern portion there. God did not take the complete kingdom away from Solomon's son and from David because of the, the sake before, excuse me, the sake of David. Okay, because David was faithful, so he kept one, actually two tribes there for Rehoboam. Well, Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, he reigned. He was given the ten tribes, which what we would call the northern kingdom of Israel. And so this is up in this area. In our Bible reading this morning that we read to us, that your bro- our brother read to us, we talk about Jeroboam and what Jeroboam did. Jeroboam was worried about losing the kingdom. He was worried about losing those ten tribes because the children of Israel were supposed to go down to Jerusalem to worship. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set up a golden calf, and what I'll do, I'll set one up in Dan, I'll set one down in Bethel. So there's the northern, the northern tip of Israel and the southern tip of Israel. And he says, what I'll do is, I'll say, you know what? It's too hard for you. It's too hard for you to go all the way to Jerusalem. I mean, look how far that is. All the way down to Jerusalem to worship. What I'm going to make it convenient for you. I'm going to make it convenient and it'll make it easy for you. And so that way you can worship in these and you can call these, these golden calves that I have. These are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. And so you can worship them and do this. And in fact, what Jeroboam did, he made his own religion, if you want to get technical about it. What he did, he decided to make his own feast, and he decided to, he appointed his own priest, not what God wanted him to do, not what God had prescribed in his word or in his commands, but he did what he wanted to do to try to hold on to the people. Well, as we read this morning, it says this thing became a sin. And so now God's going to do something about it. In 1 Kings chapter 13, let's begin reading in verse 1. Begin reading in verse 1, and we'll start the first ten verses. 1 Kings chapter 13. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, he cried against the altar at Bethel. Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord. 
and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you. And I will not eat bread or drink water in this place, for so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. So we see God sends this prophet, this man of God from Judah, and he's going to talk to Jeroboam. And he's going to tell Jeroboam what's going to happen because he has turned away from the Lord. God is going to bring judgment upon his house and upon Israel. Let's pick up our reading now in verse 11. We're going to see someone else is being introduced. Someone else. We have the young prophet, the man of God that was sent by Judah. Now we're going to see in verse 11. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. The words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. Now I want you to think about something. We will stop in our reading for a second. The old prophet. The old prophet of God who lived, where did he live at? He lived in Bethel. He lived in the same place that King Jeroboam had an altar built to the idol. This is a man of God, this prophet of God, and he's living in the same place that Jeroboam set up an altar, the golden calf. Let's go back in our reading now, pick up in our reading. This old man, he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place, for it was said to me by the word of the Lord, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But listen, the last part of this verse, but he lied to him. But he lied to him. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back, and he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, Because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place in which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the ass for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road. 
and the ass stood beside it, and the lion also stood beside the body. And I've often wondered, I'm kind of stopping for just a second, if you think about that, that lion and that ass or that donkey standing there beside that man, and they're just standing there. That's what God wanted them to do, and that's what they were following what God wanted them to do. This is this account from the Old Testament. It, it's something that ought to to bring back or ought to cause us to think about a lot of things. This young prophet of God, it, it's kind of perplexing to me. I don't know about you. It's perplexing to me that this young, this young man of God, he's given this great task to go and do, and, and he does it, and yet he's blindsided, if you will, he's blindsided by an old, older as the, as the older prophet of God, the older prophet of God, and I've often wondered what was going through that man's mind. What was what was he thinking about? What was he doing? But I want us to think about it for a few moments this morning. First of all, I want to ask the question or answer the question: What caused the young prophet to disobey? What caused him to do? And and I want to tell you, brother, it was not because he couldn't understand what was required of him. It's not because he didn't understand that. If you look there, I've got it backwards. Back in 1 Kings 13, 8 and 9, we read that earlier. In fact, it's recorded twice for us because here he's talking to the to Jeroboam. The man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you. And I will not eat bread or drink water in this place, for so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. He understood exactly what he was supposed to do and what he was not supposed to do. And he understood that it came from the Lord. It was a direct commandment from the Lord. So what caused the young prophet to disobey? It wasn't because he couldn't understand it. And it's not because he couldn't perform what was required. It wasn't that it was too hard for him or maybe even impossible. He couldn't have used that excuse. You know, it's just too hard. Now, you know, you, you told me not to go this way. He understood exactly. It, he could perform it. And I'll tell you what, one thing else. He didn't disobey because he was covetous. It wasn't because that, that he was filled with greed or evil desire like so many of us sometimes can be. In fact, notice that he tells the, he tells the king, you can give me half your house. Give me half your house. Or give me half the things that you have. And he says, I still won't. I still cannot do that. I cannot go against the word of the Lord. It wasn't because he lacked courage. Someone says, man, he was a coward. Right? He wasn't a coward. This is the man that went to the king. He's standing from the king and he's telling the king that you're wrong, that you have done evil and that God's going to bring judgment upon your household and all these things because he knew, he knew the word of the Lord was behind him. What caused the young prophet to disobey. And I'm going to tell you, brethren, here it is, plain and simple. It's because he believed a lie. He disobeyed 
because he believed a lie. A lie persuaded him to do wrong when glory, honor, and reward all failed. When those things wouldn't do it, wouldn't turn him against it, he believed a lie. Many disobey God today for the same reason. For the same reason today. What was the young prophet's mistake? He traded what he knew to be God's Word for something or for what someone said about the Word of God. Do you see the difference? Listen to that again. He traded what he knew to be God's Word for what someone said about the Word of God. Many today lay aside what they can read in the Bible, what they can read in the Word, for what some say is the will of God, or what some say is the Word of God. That was the young prophet's mistake. It is not safe, brethren, to trust in the Word of others. I don't think I have to tell you that, but we all understand it. It's not safe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5. It simply says this. Verse 3, it says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Notice that he says, in, not in the wisdom of men, not in what men think, not in what men want, not what majority says, but the power of God. It's what the Word of God says. And that's where our faith needs to be. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Not by thinking about the Word of God, but by the Word of God. And brethren, that's what we need to understand. That's what we need to hold on to. We are... We should be like, as we've talked about in the past, I'm sure you've discussed here, Jews in Berea, Acts 17 and verse 11. They were more noble-minded Jews because they searched out the Scriptures daily to see whether the things that were being taught were so. They were checking it out. They were making sure it was the Word of God. And brethren, that's where the young prophet made his mistake. He made his mistake because he just believed a lie and he didn't check it out. He didn't make sure that was it. He knew what God had told him. And then he believed what someone said that God had told him. The young prophet's mistake. Brethren, from his mistake, let us learn to test the Spirit. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse, verse 21. These are very important passages for us. They teach us not to be gullible. They teach us not to just accept anything. We've got to study it. We've got to look at it and make sure that it's what is correct. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. That's 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 21. And 1 John 4. 1 John 4 and verse 1. Passages we all know. Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. Test the spirits. So brethren, 
That was the young prophet's mistake. He believed a lie. What he did was he exchanged the truth of God for a lie. He exchanged the truth of God for a lie. What are some effects of believing a lie? What are some effects of believing a lie? Lessons from these two prophets, the old prophet and the man of God. Number one, we are subject subject to being deceived. If you don't learn anything else, you need to learn that. You need to understand that. Not everybody that talks to you about religion and about this or that are telling you the truth. That's why we must test the spirits. We are subject to being deceived. And God, there's no excuse if we allow ourselves to be deceived. We have the Word of God. We have the standard. We have what we need. And there's no excuse. Just like that, the man of God who allowed the old prophet to deceive him. Did God, did God say, well, you know, you know, he was a man of God. He was a prophet. And so I understand how you, you slipped up there and allowed that to happen. I'll let that slide this time. Don't worry about it. Just ask the lion and the donkey that are standing there looking. You see, brethren, we've got to be careful. We are subject to being deceived. Number two, in determining truth, nothing is more important than God's Word. Nothing is more important than God's Word. That is so important. It is, I cannot stress enough. I wish there was something I could say to get it through to each and every person. If you want to know what the truth is, you do not exchange the Word of God for what someone says about it. The truth is found in the Word. In the Word of God. Nothing is more important than God's Word. This, my brethren, is the most valuable possession that we have. This is it. This is what it's about. It's not how much money you have in your account. It's not how big your house is. It's not how many vehicles that we have. It's not everything else. This is what it's about. This is what's going to save our souls or cause us to be lost because we reject it and fall away from it. Determining truth, nothing is more important than God's Word. Something else that we need, brethren. Now, we've got to be careful with this one. You need a stubborn faith in God's Word. That's going to prevent deception. Now, I'm not saying you need to be stubborn. <laughs> Okay? I'm not saying that you need to be willful and you need to be, it's got to be my way, it's got to be this and that. What I'm saying is, you've got to have a stubborn faith in God's Word. Nobody's going to turn you away from God's Word. Nobody's going to turn you away from what is right. That's how you're going to hold on. That's how you're always going to know what the truth is. That's the only way. If not, you'll wind up believing a lie. Just like that man of God did. I want you to think about this one. Believing a lie has the same effect on the mind as the truth. And you need to think about that for a minute. Believing a lie has the same effect on the mind as the truth. Some people have been led away from the truth and they've gotten so far and they believe the lie, they've got to the point where they think it's the truth. They think the lie that they're believing is the truth. Let me give you an example from the, another example from the Old Testament. You remember Jacob? You remember his sons? You remember that they sold Joseph into slavery? 
They go back and they, and they get his coat and they dip it in all the animal's blood and all that stuff and they go to his father and they, and they tell him, a wild animal must have got him. He must be dead. They told him a lie. And he believed it. He believed it. Joseph in his mind was dead. Now was Joseph really dead? No, he wasn't dead. He's in Egypt. But in Jacob's mind, he was dead. Later we read in Genesis 45, in verse 26, that when his brothers, or, or Jacob's other children, they find out that Joseph is in Egypt, they go back to their father, and they tell their father, say, hey, Joseph is alive, everything well." The Bible says that he did not believe them. Why did he not believe them? Because in his mind, Joseph was dead. In his mind, he had believed the lie, and now that lie had the same effect upon his mind that the truth had. In fact, he got to the point he could not believe it until he was able to see it. and He would not believe it. Don't tell me that if you believe a lie, it's not going to cause you any problems. It has the same effect on the mind as the truth. Because of a falsehood believed, some find the truth unbelievable. And that's what happened with Jacob when his son told him, Oh, Joseph's alive! He found it unbelievable. And brethren, the same thing can happen to us. A lie believed and obeyed causes one to be lost. A lie believed and obeyed causes one to be lost. I want to ask you a question. Which Scripture do you believe God might set aside just because an individual honestly believes to the contrary? Which Scripture do you think God's going to say, oh yeah, I didn't really mean that. I'll mark that off for you. Yeah, you're right. You, Which one? Someone says, you know what? Someone, this person over here, he's a good person. He's a good person. He just didn't have the opportunity to believe. He doesn't believe in, he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't have faith, but I think God's going to take care of him. Everything will be fine in the end. And yet the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. You think God's just going to mark that off? What about the honest Jew? Or, or, or the modernist who denies that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you think God's going to overlook that and say, you know what? It's not. You were a, you were a sincere person. You were an honest person. Everything's going to be fine. And yet, John Jesus said in John eight twenty four, unless you believe that I'm He, you will die in your sin. Which one are you going to believe? Which one are we going to follow? We're going to believe a lie, or we're going to follow the truth? What about those that say, you know what? I think God's, God's a loving God. He's not going to destroy everyone. He's, he came to send Jesus to save everyone. And so God's going to save us all. We're not going to be condemned. No one's going to fall. And yet Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says only a few are going to find the way of life. Because it's a narrow way. And it's hard to find it. The broad way is going to lead to destruction. There is no thing called universal salvation, meaning that you have nothing to do, you, that you can just do what you want to do. That's not what that means. Which one are you going to believe? You're going to believe a lie and be lost? Or are you going to believe the truth 
of God. You exchange the truth of God for a lie, you'll be just like that man of God. Brethren, what about those that believe that, you know, all you have to do is believe? Faith only. That's it, right? And yet you can turn to Acts 2.38, Mark 16, 15 and 16, and you can go on and on, and you said there's more to this than just believing. We must repent of our sins. We must confess His name before men and be baptized for the remission of sin. That's not what we would call Church of Christ doctrine. That's what God's Word says. It's the truth. And we cannot exchange that truth of God for a lie. No matter who says it, who says the lie, or how many people are doing it. What about the truth about salvation? The great imitation of Jesus. God is no respecter of persons. And to remain so, He must require the same from everyone. He requires faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 5 and verse 9 says that Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey Him. That's what the Word of God says. Now, what are we going to do with it, brethren? Are we going to follow it? Or are we just going to let the world tell us what they think or what they say is the will of God? Are we going to follow and stand on the truth of God? The tragic consequences of believing a lie. The courage and fidelity of the young man, this young man of God, was commendable. He started out and he was doing what God wanted him to do and he was following the Word of God and he didn't have, he had so many good qualities until he believed a lie. He was, he was gullible. He, maybe he just let down his defenses a little bit because this was supposed to be a prophet. He was supposed to be a prophet of God. Brethren, we cannot let down our defense. We've got to stand up for the truth every day of our lives. Stand on the truth. Are you here this morning? And maybe you're not a Christian. The great invitation of Jesus is extended to you. It's always open. As long as you're here, as long as you're breathing, it's open to you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, I will give you rest. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that? Do you believe that He came down to this earth and He died for your sins? If you're willing to repent of your sins, to turn away from those things, to turn away from the things of this world and turn to God, and you're willing to confess His name before men, make the great confession of faith as we call it. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Sometimes we kind of rush through that, I'm afraid. Make the great confession that Jesus Christ, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And you're willing to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Brethren, you can be raised up this morning to walk in newness of life, to live the rest of your life for Him. Brethren, we are to be keep seeking the things that are above, as Colossians 3 talks about. 
Jesus is calling you home this morning. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to turn to Him. Don't believe a lie. If you believe a lie, you'll be lost. Turn to God. Please come while we stand and sing. for partaking of the Lord's Supper. We'll sing number 385. Number 385. What did he do? 